Hi, Jason again. Episode 12. We are working hard on the finale and getting very anxious to deliver it onto your ear holes. We are also working to deliver awesome content for our patrons in the off-season. So, if you don't want to miss out on that, pop over to our Patreon page and find the right tier for you. But, if Patreon might be out of the question today, then stop on over to thegrayrooms.com and support us and what we do there with our PayPal one-time donation link. Anything helps us to continue to create these awesome episodes, and we greatly appreciate it. Now, while we are talking about support, we are streaming for free on Spotify. Jump on over there and type in the Grey Rooms in their search bar, and boom, turn down the lights, turn them low, because we all love Bob, don't we? <laughs> while you are there, please leave us a five-star rating and a gushing review. We love those. Right now, we want to shine a light on those that support the inner workings of this madness machine, our patrons. Our patrons receive early access and bonus episodes, shoutouts before each episode, merch, and so much more. We truly can never express our complete and total appreciation to our patrons. Patrons such as Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Ashley Enstrom, Brooks Bigley, Diver Eli, Eli Dowell, Jackal Bot Snows, Jason Porras, Kathleen Clyde, Kelly Bear, Megan, Michael Velez, Michael Zenke, Patrick Stewart, Stacy Thuis. Please, Stacy, tell me if I screwed that up. I'm sorry. Cool name, though. The Portrait of Knox Podcast and the original Nick Show. We again are so thankful for your support. And please make sure to reach out to us in your very own Discord channel, that special and private patron channel, on how we are doing. We love your feedback and suggestions. We also, again, would love all of you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, as well as our Facebook page, where we have the Emotional Support Group, a community of horror enthusiasts such as yourself, to come together and spill the beans on the latest episodes. <clears throat> Spoiler alert. Our patrons get it early, and sometimes they like to brag about it just because it's the sadistic thing to do. <laughs> That's why they're our patrons. <clears throat> anyway, thank you again, and help us to reach our next goal on Patreon and on our YouTube channel. But more juicy info and all of that to enjoy in the show notes below. But now, let's get on to the episode. You awake. The elevator is small and cramped. There is a strange old man. He's mumbling. You hear a ding, and he forces you out. You're lost. You have no memory of this place. How did you get here? Where are you? It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to the Grey Rooms.
Season 2, Episode 12. Gave me an heart attack when you come in swinging like that. There were. Uh, there were. <laughs> I'm sorry about dinner. About. Old Bob killing me? Oh, don't be sorry, miss. I've died more times than I can count. They keep bringing me back, same as always. <laughs> Actually, I should thank you. Uh, that food was delicious. I, I can't remember the last time I had a meal that fine. <laughs> You're welcome, I guess. Uh, Todd, as long as it's just the two of us, you were saying some things at dinner. <clears throat> Sorry, miss, uh, but uh, we're not alone. Is... He... On top of the carmies. <laughs> we best, uh, best just ride the rest of the way all quiet like. You, you understand. Good luck, miss. See you on the way back up. See you, Todd. No Bob. Oh, but look. He left a sign. Back in five minutes. Cute, Bob. Very cute. Bar's still closed, too. <sighs> Nothing to do but wait. It doesn't seem that long ago. I was sitting right here, wasn't I? The first time I remembered. This is important. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life, Dad. So we turn to God. God is good. God is great, they say. But they fight over what God wants, what God will do, who God even is. You lied! You're a bastard, Hicks! You're sick! Why? Why did you kill him? It's so good. Like, damn. God is good. God is great, Jackie. Fuck! You're... God! 
I shoot you to death back at the diner. Well, I was angry. The first shot took you in the shoulder, but we patched you up. A little. I heard you shoot so many times. I shot the hell out of that place. Yeah. Not my finest moment. It's been a long few months. Is the Reverend gonna be joining us? <laughs> oh. That bastard is dead. Very, very dead. I beat his brains in with a nice, weighty Bible. It was extremely satisfying. So... Wait... You? Me. I run the church now. I'm their god. And they do as I command. Your goons were talking about... Like he was still alive. I just saw him in public last week. By killing Hicks, I freed myself from his chains. From every chain, really. You saw what I wanted you to see. When you're pushed beyond your limits, it's amazing what you can do. What you can find yourself capable of. Who sent you? Your father sat across from me and wept as he described how much he loves you. He paid me to save you from the church. What? What the hell? Just confirming. Just confirming. Who knows you're looking for me? Your mother. Your father. Your father. Frank, the man you killed at the diner. Killed at the diner. And Delphi, a researcher I work with. No one else. No one else. Well, that's nice and clean then. Everyone you just mentioned is dead or a servant of God. Unfortunately, Daddy won't be paying you anytime soon. He's very busy these days. How are you doing this? I told you. I'm free. I am limitless. 
I am a god. You, you're insane. You can't talk if you can't breathe. Insane is such a limited interpretation. Very human, I don't blame you. God has no such limitations. God is good. God is great. Unity is God. Together, all of us are greater than the sum of our fragile humanity. I look into your flushed red face, gasping for air. And I can tell you don't care about unity. I can tell I'm not going to get a new servant out of you. You can breathe again. I feel bad for you, honestly. You seem like a decent man. Thanks. I don't want decent men. I don't need them. I want men and women who will submit. Who will kneel. Because unity is everything. Belonging is godly. Soon enough, everyone will belong. Every last person on this planet. You'll <sighs> never... Save me your moralizing. I see the bigger picture now. And it offends me. We are alone in the universe. Adrift, looking for meaning. That's what unity offers. What God is offering us. And people like you would deny it. Would deny me. There will always, always be people like me. People who can see you for what you truly are. Just because you can make us, force us to do what you want, we can still see the monster inside. Oh, well then. We'll just have to fix that, won't we? Let me have those pretty eyes of yours, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I never did that.
so I did it. I was a god. Well, you're no god here, are you? Yes, and it's a bit of a bitch, Bob. Fascinating. So you don't regret it? Any of it? I only regret it's over. Happiest time of my life. The crowds kneeling at my feet. The blood sacrifices, the singing and dancing, all at my command. Oh, the things we could have achieved if I'd lived longer. What a waste. So you say. Miss Winters. Bob, please. Tell me those tapes aren't real. That she's not... me. I make it a point not to lie. How is that possible? How are she and I the same person? I don't... I don't feel that way at all. It makes me sick to my stomach. I don't want that power. I don't want anyone kneeling at my feet. And she... she didn't just like it. She loved it. All I want... Bob, I just want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. You've hit on precisely why you are so valuable here. Though I am sure management wouldn't like me to say so. I, I don't... Management has no plans for you to stop. They appreciate your participation in the Grey Rooms far too much. You might as well try to get used to it. Now then, may I offer you a room for the evening? Sure. I have for you a room in a research center, or a room for you on a luxury cruise. Which would you prefer? Well, I usually try to pick the one that sounds better. So let's go with the research center. Switch things up. As you wish. You'll be heading up to room 2020. Escape. Good luck. Sure, Bob. See you on the next merry-go-round. Evening, miss. Uh, going up? Yeah, Todd. Going up. Dr. Talia Farrow's distorted voice crackled from every speaker within the complex. May I have your attention, please? The chief medical officer waited. 
observing the dwindling population of T-12 on her wall of computer monitors. I watched her standing there, upright and rigid, the perfect narcissist, refusing to continue until she had everyone's undivided attention. God, I hated her. A facility-wide notice has already been sent. However, judging by the way you're all milling around, chatting, and acting like idiots, I can only assume that nobody has taken the time to read it. She paused for a moment, frustration clear in her voice. The notice began, to whom it may concern. However, after your blatant disregard for my warning... I am increasingly concerned that the matter now concerns an awful lot of you. She paused again, cutting her own rant short. Your lives are in danger. For some of you, it may already be too late. A new strand of the pathogen has been detected. A strand I believe to be extremely infectious. Please make your way back to your allotted chambers and wait for further instructions. T-12 security officers will be patrolling the facility. Anyone found outside of their assigned dwelling will be dealt with in the most efficient manner. You have 15 minutes to return to your dwellings. End of communication. I remained at my desk, waiting for her selections. I knew damn well there were no new strains of the pathogen she had created. This was a test for compliance. Weeding out those who showed even the slightest signs of resistance simultaneously culling the herd and reducing the risk of rebellion. Sometimes I wonder if she had feelings about what we were doing there or any conscience at all for that matter. She certainly didn't show it. I guess compassion isn't something they value in the vault. Subjects D-9, D-11, and F-4. She spoke without turning away from her monitors. Her highbrow British accent grated against me, making me hate her even more. Nevertheless, I recorded her selections as quickly as she made them, reducing men and women to nothing more than a series of letters and numbers their humanity rendered obsolete. Inform security, and have them removed from the project immediately. Kill them, is what she really meant. Yes, ma'am. My own compliance sickened me, but what could I do? Standing, I folded the note and made for the door. No doubt the missing patients would be announced as victims of the new strain. Collateral damage to corroborate her story. Just a moment. The doctor's eyes never left her monitor. She leaned forward, squinting at the sectioned screen. Add D-17 to that list. Her words froze me solid. My throat dried up and I couldn't speak. D-17? But that... that was Kara's number. I tried to think, I tried to breathe, but I couldn't do it. The paper list crumpled in my fist. If I gave Kara's number to the guards, I might as well pull the trigger myself. I had to do something. Impulsively, I stepped forward placing myself directly behind the doctor. And in that frozen second, I made a choice. My mind processing the idea with a coldness I never thought myself capable of. If the doctor died, here and now, 
that order would never leave this room. Even if the guards shot me dead, Kara would still be alive. Somehow, she'd escape without me. The aging doctor never stood a chance. Her name is Kara. The doctor spun on the spot, alarmed at my tone and immediate proximity. D-17 has a name. Her name is Kara, I repeated. And she's my wife. I remember her expression perfectly. The moment she realized what was about to happen. I remember the outrage in her steel-gray eyes, rigid, cold, and hard. That all ended when my fist connected with her gut. It was too easy. The doctor crumpled, hitting the deck like a hooked fish, flailing as she gasped for air, fighting to reinflate her winded lungs. Kneeling beside her, she wheezed like an animal as I grabbed her head, pressing my hand over her mouth and nose, her saliva coating my palm. I watched as the rage evaporated from her eyes, widening with panic, darting from side to side as she fought against me. I didn't care how long it took. It didn't matter if she suffered. She had to die. She had this coming. She'd started this program. All this was on her. When it was over, I picked her up as if she were a child. Cradling her like a sleeping infant, I carried her toward the central console and punched in the system code. 1932 to 1972, enter. I pressed the doctor's thumb over the scanner. Emergency shutdown initiated. Evacuate all non-essential personnel. The message flashed across every monitor in the room. Lights dimmed to emergency levels as power rerouted to essential functions within the facility. Leaving the observations room behind, I jogged along the darkened corridor toward the medical bay, still carrying the doctor in my arms. It was no coincidence that Kara's chamber was situated so close to the medical unit. I knew this day would come. I'd planned everything. I just needed more time. Aside from the dull drone of the emergency siren and my own noisy breath, the corridors were surprisingly quiet. I was almost there. Shit! My heart almost stopped as I rounded the final corner. Armed security guards filled the hallway outside Kara's room. What was going on? What were they doing here? In the dim light of the tunnel, I counted four people in total. I took a step closer. Three T-12 security guards with their weapons drawn. Three pistols pointed at a lone inmate. D-17 covered her back. Oh God, it was Kara. My Kara. I wanted to run. I wanted to stop them, but it was with faltering steps I approached the scene. Help, I need a medic, it's Dr. Farrow. That got their attention. The med lab's empty, it's been evacuated, I lied. Her breathing stopped and her pulse is slow. Please, you have to save her. 
The genuine terror in my voice combined with the image of a man in a white lab coat carrying his boss along the dimly lit corridor had the desired effect. Panic's contagious, even among military men. Visibly, their mental faculties gave way to fear as the emotional reaction of, oh shit, guided their actions. Holstering their pistols, two of the three officers ran towards me as I placed the doctor on the floor in front of them. I looked up as the third man forced my wife roughly into her chamber and sealed the door. No, I shouted. That was D-17, wasn't it? The guards looked at me, their expressions blank. None of them quite sure who I was. Her file says she was a paramedic. We need her here, now! The officer nearest to me nodded, and the third guard turned to fetch her. She just collapsed. She's not breathing. Please save her! I begged, turning the commanding officer's attention away from me and back to Dr. Farrow. He leaned over her, feeling for the pulse I knew was absent. Oh God, this was it. No time for nerves. Ignoring my pounding heart and the acid pumping through my veins, I reached for the man's gun as he searched for a pulse. Only a press stud away, the weapon was utterly exposed as he searched for signs of life. It was now or never. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. Everything happened so fast. Reaching for the gun, the second officer saw what I was doing and lunged from his position against the wall. I pulled the trigger and gunshots rent the air as loud as thunder within the narrow corridor. Two panicked shots fired in rapid succession. The lunging guard fell to the floor and somehow, despite my shaking hands, I managed to squeeze off another round. The bullet passing through the first guard's chest, chipping the stone wall and spreading his gore in front of him. Don't ask me how I knew. It's like trying to explain deja vu or something. But what happened next couldn't have gone down any other way. I didn't know it beforehand, but the following moments were unavoidable. I wonder if it was the same for the other guy. Spinning around on my knees, I raised the gun and fired two more shots. Kara's door was open, but the guard's attention was already on me, his gun drawn and ready. We both fell down. It wasn't so much the pain, it wasn't even a surprise. Like I said, it couldn't have happened any other way. Just a feeling of hot, wet pressure, and the knowledge that this was the end. I hit the ground, all my senses dulled, slowing down as the ceiling above me began to fade in and out of focus, pulsing with my dying heart. The last thing I remember was Kara's face leaning over me, her liquid brown eyes staring into mine. God, we hadn't been this close in three, nearly four years. I wanted to tell her how much I loved her, how much I missed her. I needed her. I needed to tell her which way to go, how to get out but I couldn't. Nothing worked anymore. Black haze filled the edges of my vision and I knew it was over. I was dying. God 
She was so beautiful, my Kara. She disappeared for the briefest of moments, and faintly I heard the sound of metal on concrete. Then she was back. Standing now, she hovered over me, the pistol I'd snatched from the guard hanging loosely in her hand. I tried to speak, but my voice faltered. All I wanted was to tell her how much I loved her, how hard it had been to find her after she was taken, how long I'd been planning her rescue. All these things I needed her to know but couldn't say. Wholly blurred now, her face was hidden in shadow, too distant for my dying eyes to focus. The dim glow of emergency lighting formed a halo around her head. My angel. That's what I used to call her. At least my angel was with me. With every ounce of strength I could muster, I smiled at her, determined to make her final memory of me better. Positive. You bastard. Those were the last words I heard. That was it. Over. I was dead before the gunshot reached my ears. I can't honestly say what happened next. Silence. No. Not silence. Nothingness is probably the best way to describe it. A long period of nothingness followed by the briefest flashes of something else. Slices of images, fragments of feelings, and the beginnings of emotion. Just a few at first, like the slow trickle of water that nobody notices or pays any attention to until the larger warning cracks appear. Eventually, the cracks widened and more feelings emerged, slowly seeping into my consciousness. Confusion... Hurt, betrayal, fury, death. Death. That's when the cracks gave way and the morbid reality of it all came crashing down, flooding my mind with one single recurring thought. I was dead. Dead. My own wife had killed me. The woman I'd given my life to, given my life had pulled the trigger. More images flashed before me. Another wave of emotion. Anger. Vengeance. Agony. After the initial surge of pain and blinding colors, the dizziness passed, and I became aware once more. Something akin to vision slowly returned as my eyes adjusted to the dimness of my surroundings and the world blinked briefly back into focus. I tried to move, to get up, but a second wave of nausea passed over me, holding me in place and causing my newfound sight to fade in and out like an old television set. It was like dying, again. A voice whispered to me in the darkness. I tried to locate the speaker, to hone in on her voice, but nothing worked. Paralyzed and unsure if any of this was really happening, I began to question my sanity, trying desperately to separate reality and dreams. 
Nothing made sense. And why did the voice seem so familiar? Yes, separate. That's what you need to do. It's time to separate. It's time to get up. I tried again to sit, but nothing happened. It was as if someone had glued my back to the floor, like I was in a straitjacket and my shadow was somehow holding me down. I wanted to call her to ask for help, but my voice was gone. Surely she could help. I can hear you. I'm here to help. But you've got to do this bit on your own. You're trapped and you need to get out. The voice sounded so encouraging, so familiar. I tried again. Come on, Daddy, you can do it. Her words shook me to the core, stopping me dead. Nalia! Panic overwhelmed me. Nalia, is that you? What was she doing here? It's me, Daddy, don't worry. Just get up and we'll all be together again. I was about to speak when a second, deeper voice spoke from the darkness. There are two ways of doing this. You either sit up now, or wait for the meat to drop off. The choice is yours. It was the voice of my son. With all my strength, I pushed myself upward, bursting from the floor and tearing through the bonds that had held me for so long. My eyesight cleared immediately as I looked at my children. Their shimmering, desolate forms were gaunt and blurred like a photograph taken out of focus. Nalia moved forward, her smudged skin paler than a white person's. She looked up at me as if I were a frightened animal that might bolt at any moment. Carefully, she took another step before stopping. Her face was a perfect picture of concern. Her eyes shined and she fiddled with her dress as one foot slid unconsciously behind the other. We missed you, she said quietly, her mouth forming the briefest of smiles before raising her faded arms. Seconds passed before my brain caught up and I opened my arms to her. Before I knew it, she had wrapped herself tightly around me, making me forget where we were and what had happened. It was like holding static, placing one hand around her tiny shoulders and stroking her hair with the other, I looked up at my son. Almost transparent in the low light, he stared back at me with tired eyes, far too tired for a boy his age. Nalia's ragdoll hung loosely by his side. What's going on? I mouthed the words so that Nalia wouldn't hear and break from the hug. Moses didn't answer. He just motioned towards the floor where I'd been laying. I followed his gaze and stared at the corpses beside me, the men I had killed to save Kara. They looked like they'd been dead a long time. Their skin was swollen and pitted by burrowing insects. Their dried blood congealed and cracked. Acting on impulse, I lifted Nalia away from them and stepped over the man in the gore-stained lab coat. Don't look, sweetie, don't look, I said, taking the doll from Moses to distract her, as I ushered them both from the scene. Don't worry, we've already seen you, we still love you. She babbled happily, as if every part of this was normal. Moses stopped walking, his black eyes full of malice and his silhouette flickering. You know you're dead, right? His adolescent voice indignant. That's you. He pointed to the man in the white coat, 
jabbing his finger as he spoke. Laying there with a bullet between your eyes. We're all dead. Moses! Malia's voice startled me as she chided her older brother. Of course he knows. Daddy knows everything. He's going to protect us now so you don't have to fight the bad things anymore. The static charge pulsed around her as she spoke. We're a family again. I didn't bother to check the body. I didn't have to. One look into my boy's eyes was all it took. I knew it was true. The anger he had for me was nothing but a shield for pain. His translucent body flickered again, his burning soul laid bare before me. I had failed him. Once again my emotions flared, flashing images in my mind of Moses standing in the doorway as I left. That's when I realized that they hadn't aged a day since I'd left them. They were exactly the way I had left them on that cold February morning. How long have you been waiting for me? I asked, fearing the answer and the cold, dead stare I knew was coming. A long time, answered Nalia sweetly. Years, corrected Moses. But, but I left you at the lodge with Miss Rivers and Dr. Dibble when I went to find Mommy. What happened? Moses stared accusingly, shaking his head as Nalia clutched her rag doll tightly. They were bad people, Daddy. Escape was written by Paul Shepard and performed by E.K. Dagenfield as the narrator, Margaret Ashley as Dr. Thalia Farrow, Chrissy Wilson as Kara, Aaron Lillis as Nalia, and Patrick Mealy as Moses. Unity was written by Michael Zenke and performed by Sarah Thomas as Samantha Winters, Graham Rowett as Bob, Alistair Mackey as Todd, and Mark Witten as Jake Stone. Musical composition is by J.M. Scherf. Associate producing social media, Graham Rowett. Episode artwork and web design by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon support is by Brooks Bigley. Videography by Hale Scherf. Audio engineering and sound design is by me, Jason Wilson. Only one more episode to go, then we will be at the finale of Season 2. And thank you for your support this season, and we truly hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed creating it. We would also like to mention, again, a big thank you to Feedspot.com for naming us one of the Internet's best podcasts, an honor we truly are humbled by. Please stop by our website, thegrayrooms.com, and let us know how we are doing. And if you enjoy these productions, then please leave us a five-star rating and a review on Spotify or the podcast app of your choosing. Stop by our store and or Patreon today to see if there is something of interest for you there. Information on this is in the show notes. And once again, thank you so very much. 
Now we're going to be getting off to go finish the finale, so stay tuned for more coming very soon. Till next time, we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>